Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today will be George Plaster of Nashville Sports Radio. We thank our presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center. Wellspire offers personal and professional development opportunities in a beautiful facility in the Gulch neighborhood. Stop by for an event with world-renowned speakers or host an off-site event that will wow your team or your clients. We also thank our co-sponsor, the Well Coffee House, which turns coffee into water and has a mission to bring clean water to the world. Today's news presented by Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt travels to Kentucky in men's basketball on Wednesday night. The Commodores are trying to avoid setting the SEC's all-time record for consecutive losses in conference regular season play. The guest line presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no idea how much I would like Bowl and Branch sheets until I got them. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them for a month. You can return them for free, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlandBranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L into the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. George Plaster joins us from Nashville Sports Radio. George, hope you're doing well. Thanks for joining us today. I am, Chris. Hope you and uh, all the listeners are doing well. Yeah, other than some lost car keys, we are fine in the Lee household. Uh, But I want to ask you something before we start on Vanderbilt. How big a topic was Kobe Bryant on your show yesterday? Uh, it was it was huge, and uh, you know, there've been a lot of different angles to this story. Um, for instance, I think ESPN's work uh, on this story has been phenomenal. Uh, you know, I've sat up the last two nights and watched Scott Van Pelt show. Uh, it's just been tremendous. You know, it it stirs up all kinds of emotions. And yet on the flip side, in the first hour after we learned of the tragedy, there was a lot of really uh, reckless reporting that should not have happened. And, you know, certain people have uh, been called out for that. And that's unfortunate because when you get into people's lives, you know, life and death, you better be certain before you start running around just trying to be first. You know, being first is wonderful, but being right is important. Twitter seems to exacerbate the problem, too. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that's one of the things, for instance, when Thurman Munson died that we didn't have, didn't have to deal with. Same thing with Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s tragedy, uh, Dale Earnhardt Sr., excuse me. Um, and you're right, it does. Uh, it it sort of puts gasoline on the fire. I was talking to a couple of publishers at other sites last week as I've kind of been working on a story. And... These guys are both guys that went to journalism school and I think I consider as good at their jobs as anybody in the profession that I'm in of running a team-based site. And one of them said to me, you know, the way it works anymore, and you even see this filter into some of the most reputable people, is that being first on stuff is so important that what happens is you kind of, stories are now turning into this, this is what I hear, and this may be what's coming and you kind of couch things in a way to where if it goes sideways, um, you've, you've covered your butt enough, I guess is a good way to put it. And it's, it's just is a weird time right now for what I'm doing. I wrote a story kind of like that yesterday uh, that we'll get into in just a minute, uh, but it really is hard to know what to do with breaking news anymore. And my frustration, sometimes I'll have things or I'm close to it and you spend all this time working on stuff. And then at the last minute, 
you know, what happens is stuff usually leaks nationally, and it's a Dan Wolken who breaks it or somebody like that. You know, there are a lot of different angles. First of all, the, the journalism world is so different today than it was when I was coming out of school. It, it's just night and day different. And for old dogs, it's hard to, you know, totally understand where it's all going. Because being right now seems to be a secondary piece of, you know, get it first. And if you're right, great. And if not, we'll celebrate the fact that you're first. And that, that's really a shame. You know, one of the things that, uh, that I found very interesting, CBS had a great game on Sunday that had a pretty shocking ending, the Maryland Indiana game. Indiana had been the better team the, the entire second half, and Maryland put on a comeback in the final two or three minutes um, and, and won the game, by I think, by a point. It was a big game for both of them because both of them are sitting there with records of something like 15 and 5, so it's two really good basketball teams. But CBS never broke in uh, at the point of uh, of this comeback, even though ABC and ESPN were now reporting the story. And I would be very curious to know if somebody made a decision at CBS. I'm hard-pressed to believe that they were that far behind a story. But for the purposes of a viewer, um, we didn't know. Uh, now, I knew because I kept flipping back and forth. Uh, a friend of mine had texted me and said, did you see this news? So I immediately flipped over to ESPN, then went to ABC while CBS continued, you know, Maryland's comeback. And I was just really surprised by that. So you're saying CBS just kind of sat there and pretended like it wasn't going on? I don't know. I mean, I'm hard-pressed to believe that a network that has the resources that CBS did didn't know that story. And I'd be curious. Uh, I don't know if anybody else has noticed that, but I certainly noticed it as I watched. I wonder if it went along those lines. Other guys are already out, already out ahead of us. So is this story breaks the people that are going to watch that story have already flipped over anyway. What's left is Indiana and Maryland fans. So we might as well serve them. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm kind of looking to see if, if that gets reported at all by some of the TV critic kind of people. Uh, I just was surprised. I really was. And then, to be honest, the rest of the afternoon, I just spent watching the TV. And I got to tell you, it was it was one of the most emotional things to watch. I can remember I was with some friends that night. Uh, and we were watching, you know, like a six o'clock sports center. And by then there were a lot of different angles of the story from different arenas. And the thing that, that really struck me was the fact that here's Kobe Bryant, who in, in all of these arenas was the enemy. You know, he was the guy that always, you know, added to whatever team's misery and yet here were fans in the visiting arena chanting Kobe, Kobe. I mean, I think if he were alive, he'd be very proud of that. Did you hear the Tiger Woods story yet? Yeah. Yeah, and if people don't know that, what happened is Tiger was playing around and finishing up, and I think people were yelling stuff like, do it for Kobe, and he had no idea what was going on, and I guess after his round found out what happened. Yeah, and that's, boy, that is a tough, um, that's just a tough deal. I mean, I know what my reaction was when a friend of mine texted me that it had happened. And, you know, I mean, we all had just a stunned, numb reaction to the whole thing. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what the right thing to do in that. I know what I would have done as the interviewer. 
I would have said to Tiger beforehand, I'm assuming you're aware of this, but if you're not, this is what has happened, and this is part of the reason I'm going to want to interview you. That's the way I would handle it. Yeah, yeah, that's... It's hard to know what to do if you're media. I heard Gary Parrish speaking about this yesterday. TMZ is the one that broke the story, and TMZ is the one that gets all of the celebrity deaths, or they're the leader in that, I guess, market, so to speak, which there's certainly a market for that. But the problem, I think, when you're in the media is I think I listened to the police chief talk about that, and he said basically that he was kind of offended by the whole thing that next of kin had been notified, that sort of thing. And then there's the news out there with it. It's going through TMZ and they're blasting it everywhere. Look, on one hand, I understand it because like it or not, you got to earn a living in the media. I mean, I don't do this unless I'm getting paid through subscribers and sponsors and stuff like that. I'd like to sit here and give everything away for free, but I just can't. And anybody that is in the media business is in the same thing. You are trying to do your job professionally, but at the same time, we've all got to get paid. Um, and I think just about anybody that's in the media knows, has had this conversation with somebody at some point. So there's that. And then when you have somebody out there like a TMZ, let's say that every other media outlet in the world says, you know, this is the fair thing to do. It's kind of to hold it until the next of kin have been notified and do it that way, which seems is, well, it's not, doesn't seem it's the decent human thing to do. But when you got one guy out there like that, that does it that way, it puts professional reputations and paychecks at stake. And it just really makes it an impossible situation for anybody. Yeah, it's uh, that, that has added a new layer that, you know, wasn't around, um, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, how would a TMZ have handled the Kennedy assassination, uh, President Kennedy, uh, not to mention his brother. It's just a totally different world that we're living in right now. Um, it was a strange press conference. The first one uh, that I watched, I want to say around 4 to 4.30 on Sunday because they wouldn't even admit to any names, even though we had long since gone into kind of a Kobe morning period uh, where, you know, most of the nation by then knew it was absolutely stunned and heartbroken. And yet in this press conference, uh, because of what you're talking about, they wouldn't even admit to any names. Yeah, it's, I don't think it's anything that anybody has an answer for. Here's another one. Um, there, there is now film footage of the crash. Oh my! And I and I have seen it, and it is, um, it's awful. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. But I'm hopeful that that does not get on, you know, public television. Uh, because I don't think it serves any purpose whatsoever. We're just living in a different world with phones and cameras within phones. And um, it, I, I don't know. I mean, it sounds good. It sounds like technology has been added. But at times you say, at what expense? And the answer may be at times, at the expense of human decency. Well, here's what I'm thinking as a dad. Even if that doesn't get aired in the mainstream, he's got three surviving daughters, and one of whom will never know right. him. And one day, one of those kids is going to go trying to find out more about daddy, and there's a decent chance they stumble on that somewhere. Sure. And... You know, the other thing is whoever had it and put it out maybe never thought that through the way they should have. It was the rush to say, you know, I've got the news of Pruder film. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's... I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd like to think if I had that, you know, that, that 
I wouldn't let, I wouldn't release it, but I've never been put in that position. Well, the problem is by the time you have to think that over in the moment, you have either, you either put it out there in haste and maybe wish you didn't later or think about it and, and miss your window. I guess really what you do is you've got to figure out, okay, when this comes up, how do I handle this? Um, when it happens. And I, I had that with the Donnie Everett thing a few years back. I got a text that it had happened. I don't I was about asleep and this was maybe 10:30, 10:40 at night. Vanderbilt had kept that really buttoned up. And I didn't know what to do with it. And I'm just like, you know, I people were talking about it, this terrible thing that's happened, and then and that's where running a message board gets to be an issue. Well, what's this terrible thing? Can she tell us? And I'm just like, you know, I'm just going to. I didn't know what else to do other than sort of sit it out, figure it would break in the papers the next morning and and let it go from there. It's a very difficult, the, the, this scenario that you're painting. I, I, I never went to a school of journalism. Um, most of. I guess my journalism training was, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, practical experience as opposed to in a classroom. And I've always just tried to use my instincts to tell me what's right and what's wrong. And, you know, I don't know how a journalism class teaches you something like that. Uh, I was in the middle of the, the, the Steve McNair case. You know, I, I can now tell this story. A friend of mine, about 45 minutes before um, before it got released, called me and said, this is for real. Uh, I remember it, it was July 4th, 2009. I was up in Kentucky. I called our program director. I was at 104.5 The Zone at the time and uh, said, look, this is for real. Um you know, I, I'm going to get back to town and lead our coverage of this. What I didn't know until I got to the station was the murder had happened 100 yards from the station. We could walk out of the back door of the station at the time and see the murder site. You talk about being stunned. Man, Um you just have to be very careful with what you're doing in life and death situations. And I, I want to believe that I've always had a sensitivity to do what's right in this kind of thing. But boy, there are some extenuating circumstances now that you've laid out there that make it harder and harder to do the right thing. My biggest insecurity in this business is kind of what you laid out. I never went to journalism school, and I had to learn this all on my own. I don't have an editor. I have some friends I can bounce stuff off, and that's kind of the way that I've learned. But I kind of live in this perpetual fear that I'm missing something because I never went through the training like a lot of people in this business did. Yeah, I mean... um Mine was on-the-job training, and, you know, I, I've certainly asked people for their opinions uh, while things were going on. I've asked after the fact. I think we all are trying to learn as we go along, but the, the, the roadmap has changed. The rules have changed. Uh, the players have changed. The, the equipment that we now have has changed dramatically. and so, a lot of what they might have taught us 40 years ago doesn't mean a damn thing anymore. Well, and I think this is where we make the leap to Vanderbilt, which this is not a life and death thing, but this beat has been crazy lately with all kinds of stuff. Um, the mood behind the scenes is not a positive one. You try to get down and get at the root of things. And Vanderbilt operates very privately, so... Um, you never know what is going on behind closed doors, but this has been one heck of a time to cover Vanderbilt. Yeah, and uh, given that that is, you know, 
primarily your job. Um, you know, I have no idea how you try to spin all this in a positive way. The decision to retain Derek Mason has been met with virtually unanimous uh, negativity. I don't know how they sell this a year from now. I try to, to keep remembering, and, and I say this a lot, that while I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, Derek Mason has proven me wrong before. He'll get the opportunity to do it again. You know, most people's fears is they look at what's there and they just don't see where the sum of the parts add up to anything positive. Now, with the basketball, we kind of know what's going on. Aaron Neesmith's injury has basically, you know, removed all doubt. You know, it's now the emperor with no clothes. And what I mean by that is we pretty well know they've got very little SEC division, high division one talent on that team. And poor Saban Lee is being guarded by, you know, half the free world anytime he touches the ball because he's the one guy that the teams know could do them some damage. And so what has happened is this has flipped the attention not on wins and losses anymore because people pretty well know, look, this team's not going to do a lot of winning, if any, the rest of the season. So what the attention now is focused on is, okay, what's what's in the future? What level of recruiting is going on? And you find out that this doesn't appear to be a staff that's been very focused on recruiting, doesn't seem to have done a very good job with it. And Vanderbilt fans simply don't want to go through another two or three years of being kind of an SEC punching bag. They get enough of that in football. And, you know, they've always in the past been able to say, well, at least basketball is going to be better. And they don't really have that feeling right now. And, you know, I, I feel for Vanderbilt fans. But other than baseball, they don't feel any hope. Well, I'm going to hit on the basketball thing, and then we're going to go to what I think is the bigger topic. It just is unfathomable to me, A, that you wouldn't have more guys than one on the road recruiting, especially, I mean, under any situation. Look, I mean, the number one team in the country, whoever that is from one time to another, is out there killing it in recruiting. Um, And now there's some stuff that comes with that, as the FBI thing has told us, but there's also an effort component to it. And it's just unfathomable to me that they have all these people over there, and yet they've got one guy on the road. I mean, to me, if you've got this staff of people, that should take the burden off some of your assistants to where that can free up some time for them and get there out on get out there on the road. And yet you and I keep hearing, and I think we are hearing it from very accurate sources that know what is going on. That is just not the case. Well, I'm going to hope here that Malcolm Turner has figured a lot of this out and is sitting down or has sat down with Jerry Stackhouse and said, look, we got to shift the priorities. You know, you're not going to be fired based on an offer this year. We knew this was going to be rough, but I need to know what the plan is in recruiting. I need to know if enough resources are being spent on this because we cannot continue to go through this O for January, February, March feeling that this fan base now will have gone through two years in a row, and the fan base is worried that it's going to continue. Let's go to the bigger picture here for a minute. Tell me if you agree with this. I think that the real question that matters more than anything right now is whether Malcolm Turner is the right guy for the job. Well, you know, I think he walked into a job that was virtually impossible. The school is so far behind in resources, uh, facilities, and also mindset. You know, they're playing in the Southeastern Conference. This isn't 
you know, this isn't the Mountain West or the Sun Belt. This is the Southeastern Conference. And I don't mean to disparage either one of those conferences, but this is a big boy league. And for years, people have been playing at Vandy with their hands tied behind their back. They don't have the resources and they haven't had uh, that a lot of other schools have had. And, you know, I, I certainly have put a lot of blame on, you know, the top of the school over the years because the leader of the school sets the tempo. And when the tempo is that the leader doesn't know if a football is pumped or stuffed, it's hard to take that very seriously. And so he's walked into a job that, you know, was brutally hard. Then he walked into a basketball issue that he probably had no idea was as bad as it turned out to be, because frankly, none of us did uh, for a long time. So he's been met with a lot of challenges that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. It seems to me that what's happened is he's sort of gotten painted into a corner where he's going to have to deliver the goods as far as the plan that he has been talking about, you know, off and on over the last few months. And now apparently will present to the board of trust in early February. And it seems like he's been backed into a little bit of a corner where he's got to deliver the goods big time in that whole process or, you know, people are going to view his first year plus as a complete failure. Well, I think what it's going to be viewed at, if what comes out in phase one is underwhelming, and I had a podcast with Tommy Smith where he pointed to as many as three, four, five, six phases, that may just come across as stalling. And I don't know what is fair and what is not. I'm just talking about perception. If, if they have had a year to raise money and come up with plans, it is going to beg a ton of questions as to why they don't come out with something that's pretty significant here in a couple of weeks. And again, that that's an if. I have qualified that with an if. But the other thing that really is interesting was a lot of speculation was focused around a land grab right around Vanderbilt. And apparently Vanderbilt bought the Wendy's yesterday, which was the last little domino in that sequence. There's a map out there that the university put out for the land, and all that land was earmarked. Uh, I don't remember how they put it, but it was certainly not for athletic use. It was for general university use, and it was clear that was not going to athletics. A lot of speculation had been based on that land maybe used for those sort of things. The hospital parking lot was another source of, of speculation, and frankly, the other big thing out there that has just gone away, and you and I both heard this rumor, was that they were going to buy the Legends. And they were going to sink a substantial amount of money towards a football stadium project. Uh, it was nearly a, a nine-figure amount. Not quite there, but it was a pretty large amount. I think that was around a lot of the confidence of the plans of what they were going to do. That rumor has now just gone black too. I don't know where that stands. And that's one that you and I both were hearing for a lot of places. So this whole black box um, and, and the little things that leak out, the properties going for something other than athletics, uh, the what I view as an effort to tamp down expectations. Look, we don't know what's going to happen, but it is not leading people to speculate in a positive direction. Yeah, these are tough times right now. Um, I'll continue to believe that Malcolm Turner was not allowed the opportunity to make a football coach because of the amount of money that it would take to buy out uh, Derek Mason and his staff. Again, I don't have any proof of that. So I, I offer that up to just say, that's my belief. I have no proof, but that's my belief. That is that has gotten him a lot of criticism, whether it's fair or unfair. The injury to Aaron Neesmith has opened up Pandora's box on Vanderbilt basketball because it has shifted all the focus to recruiting, which doesn't appear to be at this point 
real strength. And it's given the Vanderbilt fan absolutely no reason for any hope. And so now, you know, the focus is on this whole, what will Malcolm Turner get the board of trust to agree to? Because if, if there's some landmark decision that comes out of that, suddenly a lot of the criticism that Malcolm Turner's facing will go away and he'll be the person that got Vandy, you know, out of the dark ages into something much more realistic athletically. And so whether fair or unfair, that's the way I see the landscape right now is that he's probably for his own athletic career purposes, got to deliver the goods big time out of this board of trust meeting. Yeah. And who knows where that's going to go. I don't think any of us have a good sense on that right now. Back to the Legends thing, I wanted to give some background, and people don't know what I'm talking about. The Legends is where Vanderbilt plays its golf. It is in Williamson County, not far from the BGA campus. There's been a lot of land development right in that area. So the speculation was that was going to be sold for whatever reason, money put back into Vanderbilt Athletics, and then I think the golf be played closer to campus. I don't know if you can add anything to that, but I just wanted to clear that up. Well, the rumor that had been out there was that they would then kind of move their headquarters golf-wise to the Golf Club of Tennessee, uh, where there are several you know, prominent Vanderbilt boosters who were members. Um, whether, whether there was anything to it or not, I don't know. But that rumor was out there huge back in the fall. It just was. Yeah, and then I'm going to say sometime before Thanksgiving, it just – completely went away died on the vine yeah I really don't have any idea what happened but I want to hit a bigger topic and then I think I'm gonna go into the mailbag leadership really is the big issue right over there because I've had people that are very dialed in just kind of asking the question rhetorically who's in charge over here I mean I think it's Susan Wente, probably, but the fact that nobody seems to know is, is I don't know, it's a little weird. Well, it, you help me if I, if I get any of this wrong, but my understanding is the next chancellor does not arrive, what, until July 1? Yeah, and if somebody has told me I think he's even less knowledgeable about athletics than Zeppos is. So who knows where that's going to go? And also, who knows how much that is affecting things? And this is where I kind of... Yeah, there's really no way to know at this point. The interim probably doesn't know where she fits in to a new administration. She's sort of a, a lame duck interim, if you will. Um you know, just a lot of stuff up in the air until July. I guess I'm surprised that, you know, they allowed this to be the way it would work uh, for that length of time. But um, they did, and that's the landscape uh, that it is right now. Yeah, and at this point, I think we've exhausted most of what, we can talk about on these subjects. I think at this point, everything else is just speculating. I don't really want to do much more of that today. So let's just go on into the mailbag, which is sponsored by Vanderbilt Fan and independent insurance agent Josh Minton of Brentwood. Are you in the market for auto, motorcycle, home, renters, or landlord insurance? What about life or commercial insurance? Call Josh at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash JD Minton HQ. He's my insurance agent. Hope you'll make him yours as well. Door King says, is the outlook for athletics at Vanderbilt really at a historic low or is it psychological from the basketball losing and retention of coach Derek Mason? Well, I would lean toward historically low because on the totem pole of what matters, uh, at most Division One schools, you have uh, football and basketball on the men's side as the two most important, 
partly because they're the two that are going to generate the most income. Uh, and then you can rank however you want. Certainly baseball at Vanderbilt has become very important. And Tim Corbin has done such unbelievable things um, that, you know, that has become the one thing they have to hang their hat on. But yeah, this does feel historically low. Uh, when I look at, you know, I said it on the air recently, when you look at the two the two sports that matter the most at most Division One programs, men's football, men's basketball, there isn't a Power Five school that, uh, that to me is doing as poorly. Somebody threw out Rutgers, and I said, well, take a good look because old Rutgers is going to the NCAA tournament. They've got a terrific basketball team that just keeps winning. Well, the thing is, Vanderbilt fans are an incredibly resilient bunch. They have been through lean times. There have been six winning seasons in football over the last 60 years. There are still people showing up, albeit not in as large a numbers as they used to, for a basketball team that's lost 26 in a row in the SEC, although I don't know how much longer that's going to last at this rate. But the point is, if there's hope, people will hang on. In most places, when they get to this point, they do something to offer fans hope. Rutgers changed coaches, uh, went out of its way to bring Greg Schiano back, the only guy who's figured it out there in, say, the last 40 years or so. So every other place in the Power Five has a solution to give fans hope. Well, what Vanderbilt has done so far is it has retained a coach who's very unpopular in football, it has a coach in basketball who, through no fault of his own, they're not winning. But when you point forward to finding a better way out of this, that's where you're running into some difficulty at this point. Then the facilities thing is the other thing. They could take a lot of this off the table just by showing they're really in on athletics. I think people now have major questions about that uh, for a bunch of reasons. So, I would say right now it's not been any lower than this, and it's Vanderbilt's task now to do the hard work and figure it out. Yep. D. Robertson, D. Robertson, TN says, will this university ever get it, or will it always be same old Vandy? I don't know. That's a great question. Uh, I guess the part that I don't understand is why they can't figure out that when you're good at athletics, it shines a bright light on so many other areas of your school. You know, I, I always use the example of Northwestern the first time they went to the Rose Bowl under Gary Barnett, and it got out shortly thereafter that the number of applications that they received, you know, had, I don't know, 20 times, whatever the number was, it shines a bright light. And for some reason, they don't seem to be able to figure that out here. And I've never understood why. I have this working theory, and it is very much in the formative stages. I think they actually have an oversight problem more than a board of trust problem. And that points back to the board of trust, obviously. But I have been in board of trust meetings. I used to be in higher ed, and it was at a very different level, but I have seen how those go. And information can be very carefully crafted to get around the icebergs that everybody inside the school knows is there. But you put a, people on the board in a meeting, they're on campus a couple times a year. Vanderbilt's board meetings have been described as a dog and pony show. And so they get fed what people inside that place, if that's the case, want them to hear, in which case Vanderbilt is very good at pointing the finger to golf and tennis and stuff like that, and of course baseball, and saying, see, we're fine over here, and everybody knows it's not. Yeah, it's, I guess I'm cynical enough to call it happy news. Well, you that's know, exactly what everybody. it is. That's exactly what it sure. is. And, you know, I don't know that that's what's going on here. I've never been in one of these board of trust meetings, uh, although I am on the board of trust at Battleground Academy. So I at least have some working knowledge of 
of how, you know, procedures work in these kind of things. Um, you know, I've just often wondered if enough people on that board know anything about athletics or care. Uh, we certainly know John Ingram does. Uh, beyond that, I don't really know enough to know who does and who doesn't. Well, I'm going to be a little contradictory here, and maybe this is giving the benefit of a doubt that's not deserved, but I think some of the people that have been the most critical about Vanderbilt have told me that there's more people on that board than care than people would suspect, and there's some of the bigger people. And I know that I, I've never met Bruce Evans, but I know people who know him and really like him feel like he is sincere about the university. There is a school of thought out there that the board is sincere about this and maybe more sincere than people realize. But again, having been in this situation, I worked, again, at a college. I was in an executive level. It was horribly managed by the president. And he had the whole thing by the tail, and there was nothing that anybody could do because part of the board was really clueless, and the other part was really tight with the president. So we all sat there going, he's going to bankrupt this whole thing. Uh, and, and there's not much we can do about it because it's the way it's set up. I think what it takes sometimes is somebody with guts to speak out and go to people with the real issues, but that's really hard to do because you don't know where the audience is going to be receptive or where it is not, and the minute you do that, you're putting your job on the line. I really think that a lot of Vanderbilt's problems are not in the board. I think it's an overseeing and accountability with the people who were there. And I think, frankly, um, whether intentional or not, they don't do a really good job of oversight. Well, you may be right. Uh, I don't know how anybody on that board could look at that football stadium and know anything about the Southeastern Conference and believe that's okay. But they just don't know. That's not the world a lot of them live in. And Vanderbilt, if it wants to get around football, you can say this too. Well, we went to a bowl a couple years ago. We went to five in the last ten. That's unprecedented success in our history. Well, if you don't know any better, the context is totally different. You didn't used to go to a sure. bowl unless you were eight and three or maybe seven and four. And so, you really, if you don't go to a bowl, going to a bowl is not a badge of honor. The truth is not going to a bowl is a badge of shame. And they've worn the badge of shame more often than not. And when they get the badge of honor, it's barely squeaking in. So if you don't know anything about football, it's not hard to present to a board, hey, look, we're doing better than we've ever done. Well, the fact is, if you take the composite 10-year SEC standings in football over the last decade, they're still in last place. But... If you don't know any better, it can get passed off to you as football is in better shape than ever. And, oh, by the way, look at baseball, golf, and tennis, that sort of stuff. I will bet you that's how it goes. Well, it's also a board of trust members' responsibility to learn what they don't know. And I'm not buying the whole, you know, they don't know. It's their responsibility to learn enough to know and it's obvious that's never really happened here no it's never happened and I think if it can't happen now I don't think that it ever will I suspect that you're right about that well and here's the background you and I know that there's a lot of stuff that's gone on on in athletics over the last few years uh with Sometimes people getting paid too much uh, for the work they put in. That's been a problem at Vanderbilt for a long time. And it's a problem, I think, at Vanderbilt culturally, too. I think you saw it with Nick Zeppos. I think there was a lot of needless spending and not a lot of pullback on that. Now, my concern for them, honestly, is I think there's starting to be some pullback on those sorts of things, and that could not come at a worse time for athletics. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of you know, go with what you're going with there because you know a lot more about the inner workings in recent years than I do. I'll say this. I, I've said it before. I just never saw any evidence that Nick Zeppos really ever cared about athletics. And, you know, I, I'm sorry I feel that way, but it's how I feel. 
VandyFan96 says, what should fans feel hopeful about regarding Vanderbilt football and basketball? The fact that baseball follows both of those. <laughs> right. I, that's a that's a smart aleck answer. But it's the only one um, I've got either. I mean, I'm not yeah. we're not sitting here trying to just take shots at them. That's really all there is right now. Yeah. Um I don't really have a good answer because you know, I walk out of that gym a lot of the same nights that other people do and at least this year I, I've sort of chalked it up as this is what it's going to look like every night. I, you know, and if, if I end up being pleasantly surprised one evening, great, but I don't expect it. Vandy fan 96 says any stories or interactions George has had with Kobe during his career. You know, I never met Kobe. Uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have met magic Johnson several years ago and got to interview him. And that was just a remarkable uh, deal. Uh, loved it, but never had any any interaction with Kobe. Had Will Purdue on yesterday, who obviously did, and if anybody would like to hear that interview, it's on our SoundCloud, and um, I, I would encourage anybody to listen to it. Last question. This is from Mr. Vandy. You'll like this one. Do you think the Braves will make any more moves? The uh, Let's start with this. The Ozuna siding, I think, was a really good one for them because it lets – Austin Riley, kind of by the domino effect, maybe buy a little bit more time. Maybe if he comes up and hits and seizes a job, great. But if it doesn't work out, you take the pressure off him. I don't think that that didn't address third base head on, but I think in maybe sort of a domino effect, maybe it did. Okay, in my warped tomahawk world, first of all, I got this one right. I've thought all along that if they didn't sign Josh Donaldson, that they would sign Marcelo Zuna and put that on my Twitter site the day after Donaldson didn't sign. Uh, He just seemed to me to be the logical solution. You know, I kept hearing all this Chris Bryant and Norman, uh, Nolan Arenado, who I love, who I think is the most underrated superstar in the game. And the other one was Francisco Lindor. And I never paid any attention to any of those because the Braves under Liberty media just don't operate with that kind of thought process. So Lindor, excuse me, Ozuna seemed to me to be the easy deal. You pay him 18 million. You don't lose any of your prospects. You get a lot of power. You're going to get somewhere between 25 and 40 homers from him and probably anywhere from 85 to 110 RBIs. He he solves some of the problems. For me, I guess I have enough confidence in the two candidates at third base that this is all going to work out fine. I'm a big Austin Riley fan. He's a smart kid. He'll figure out whatever it was that made him look so bad toward the end of last season, there's a ton of potential there. Here's the other one. In 2018, Johan Camargo was a stud for them off the bench. You couldn't get a fastball by him. If you went dead red, he'd take you over that wall. A year ago, people thought he put on too much weight. Supposedly, he showed up at Chop Fest over the weekend, um, number one, having stayed in this country uh, during the offseason, showed up considerably leaner. Um, I'm ready to go. I I think I'd be surprised if there's anything else they're going to do. I think they're done. I think this was the athletic that reported this yesterday. The Nolan Arenado thing with the Rockies has really blown up a lot over the winter. They reported yesterday, I think, and I didn't shame on me for not reading the whole thing, but the gist of what I got by glancing at it is it sounds like a trade out of Colorado is inevitable. Yeah, and if I if I had to guess, I think it's to St. Louis. Great. Um, 
<laughs> Lovely. Arenado, yeah. Arenado is, to me, the most underrated superstar in the game. And there'll be some people who say, well, you know, half his games are at Coors Field. That's true. But I, I just think he's, number one, he's a perennial gold glove performer. The, the guy has a tremendous bat. And I think he's got a little bit of Kobe in him. I think there is a fuel, there's a fire in him that wants to win bad. And I think it would help everybody uh, if a trade happened, because I think he needs a place where he's got some hope. Colorado's a tough deal because they never have any pitching. Part of the reason they don't have any pitching is nobody wants to go there in free agency and try to make it work. It just too many nights where he comes up in games that are 19 to eight and have long since gotten out of control. Um, You know, I, I hope it's not to the Cardinals, but if I had to bet, that's where I think he ends up. Yeah, that's been a lot of the speculation. I'd say the Rockies have John Gray. He's pretty good, but there's not enough behind him. I see their bigger issue. They don't ever give their young guys a chance. They seem to find any reason not to play their up-and-coming stars or trade them or whatever, and they just never seem to really get anywhere as a franchise. They're fun to watch. I mean, yeah, you know, I yeah. have the extra innings package, so I watch them a lot. They score a ton of runs. They're fun, but they don't ever win. No. Well, I think we have exhausted the material today, unless you've got something else. If you do, go with it. If not, tell people where they can find your show, where they can find you on Twitter. And speaking of which, I will be on your show today at, I don't remember what time we settled on, but I, I'm going to be on. How about 2.20? 2.20 will work. 2.20. Uh, I'm on uh, WNSR, which is 560 on the AM dial and 95.9 on FM. And um, I do have a Twitter account. Yesterday, I went over 2,000 followers, which is nothing to be proud of. It just says that I got started about six years later than everybody else. So if you want to uh, help my number, follow me at George Plaster TN. Thank you, George. Chris, thank you. It's always fun. He is George Plaster of WNSR. I'm Chris Levy, host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will get back with more episodes later this week.